We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Philippians, please. Chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And while you're turning to Philippians chapter 1, I want to read one of my favorite verses, my favorite truths. We're all familiar with it. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. That's a wonderful command. I mean, you ever been commanded to do something that is so helpful and encouraging? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians... He was sitting in jail, imprisoned, had been persecuted. God's people, God's church was being persecuted. They were going through very difficult times. And um, the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to write to the Philippians and to encourage them. And he uses the fact that he's in bonds and that some of the things he's gone through And the joy with which his focus uh, is guided as he writes to them. And so I want you to follow along with me as we read, starting in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This is kind of a, a summary of the letter, perhaps of his entire ministry. How are they to do that? Verse number 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, speaking of his persecution, speaking of his imprisonment, that the things which happened unto me, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. 
And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Some powerful verses. I want to make some comments concerning the text here and then just give you some, some practical things that I hope will be used. I trust that will be used to be a help to us tonight. I'm intending to be helped myself by these truths, and I trust that God will do the same in your heart. Would you pray with me one more time, and let's jump in. Father, thank you for the Scripture, how powerful, how sufficient your Word is, and we trust it tonight. We pray that you would bring understanding, that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would be willing listeners and obedient servants and God, that you would guide me in my thoughts and use these truths to be a help to us tonight, we pray, and that you would be glorified for Jesus' sake. Amen. Paul is imprisoned. He's imprisoned for preaching God's Word. He's been faithful to the Word of God as he's witnessed, as he's preached, and he's not been uh, fearful of preaching anywhere he goes as God has led him and yet as he's sitting in jail, he's imprisoned for doing good, for doing right, he wrote about joy. At least 18 times the word joy or rejoice or a form of those words are found in the book of Philippians. But as I read through, there's not one sentence, not one statement of complaint in the entire book of Philippians in regard to the hardship that Paul was facing. Paul had a right focus. He had a correct focus on the things in life and on his circumstances. And so as we look at the passage, I think we'll find some examples of what kept Paul focused and therefore joyful. So just some quick things here. First of all, number one, Paul kept the right focus through prayer. You know, when you're talking to God, it's hard to be fake and phony. When you're pouring out your request and then you're praying to uh, your Savior, it is, it is hard uh, to keep a bad spirit if you're going to be honest and vulnerable with Him. 
And Paul kept a right focus through prayer. Look again at verses 3 through 6. In his focus here, we see a focus on the past, a focus on the present, and a focus on the future. And his focus on those things were all in the context of the grace and joy or the grace and sovereignty of God. Look in verse 3 again. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When I think about what God has done in, in your life, I rejoice and I thank God for what He's done. Every time I remember you, I rejoice and thank my God always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Yeah, the right focused on past. Don't you think that Paul could have thought about several other things in his past? But he chose on purpose, intentionally, to think about as he thought about these folks and the lives that were changed, the souls that were saved, the homes that were brought back together, the children who were helped, the people who were fed by the, by the good deeds of the believers, the church that was planted. He could have thought of a whole lot of other things, but he chose to remember the good things that God had done while he's encouraging the church at Philippi, the good things that God had done in and, and, and through their lives. He kept a right focus through prayer as he considered the present in verse number five, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I rejoice in what God has done in you and I thank God for what he's done for you then and he's still doing it right now and, and I rejoice in that. And then he also rejoiced uh, or, or, or had the right focus in the future as he thought about the church at Philippi. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, that I'm remembering and rejoicing in and thanking God about and that he's still doing now, that the work that he's begun in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I rejoice in what's ahead for you. Paul had an amazing focus and it was intentional. It wasn't because he had any special, more special gifts than you and I, but he kept a right focus through prayer. And as we pray, we empty ourselves and gives God the opportunity to fill us with joy as we focus our attention on the good things of God and the goodness of God and His blessings in our lives and in our church. He kept the right focus on prayer. Paul had the right focus on providence. He's preaching. Some love it and respond to it and get saved. Many hate it and hate him for preaching it, and hate the Savior that he's preaching about, and want to do everything they can to stop it. They persecute him. Uh, they imprison him. They do all of these different things. They even begin to mock and, and to, to preach in a way that would, uh, to try to cause more harm to come upon uh, the Apostle Paul and the believers. And we see that even in all of that, he had the right focus on providence. Look in verse 12 again. But I would you should understand. I want you to know something. I want you to understand something about all of this that's going on as I'm imprisoned and as you are suffering and struggling in Philippi's believers. I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. There's some good that's come from it. As a matter of fact, God has used it for good, and that is the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all of the palace. This is the, the, the Caesar's court, the guards of Caesar's court. 
manifest in all of the palace and in all other places. Chapter 4, verse 22 talks about Caesar's household and those who had accepted Christ in Caesar's household. So these bonds have given uh, Paul the opportunity to recognize that God was using it to save souls and to make an impact in the lives of other people. And he wanted the people at Philippi to understand, you're going through the similar things, and I want you to understand God is using it for purpose. Verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What a blessing. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And here's his focus on the providence of God. Verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding, every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You hear the resolve in Paul's heart? I understand where I'm at, and I understand the circumstances that I'm in, but I want you to understand as I focus on and, and trust in the providence of God that He is taking these things and the gospel is being preached, people are hearing about Christ, and even those that suppose to add affliction to my bonds, the bottom line is Christ is preached, and I'm going to rejoice in that. I rejoice now, and he says, I will rejoice. I'm going to continue to do so. Wouldn't you love to be that Christian that has that spirit that can rejoice even in the midst of such horrible things? And yet the same Holy Spirit that was in Paul is in you and in me. And we have all the wherewithal of the same truth that we see given to us in the Scripture this evening. He had the right focus on providence, but not only that, Paul maintained the right focus in his purpose. He maintained the right focus in his purpose. Look in verses 23 through 26. Paul said, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. I want to go to heaven. I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven, which is far better, verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He maintained a right focus in his purpose. What was his purpose? That Christ would be glorified, that Christ would be preached, that these that he had reached with the gospel would continue to grow and to understand the fullness of that joy that Paul is talking about. Folks, you understand joy is powerful. It is powerful. Nehemiah 8.10, the Bible says, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. And that word strength implies defense. Joy is powerful. It is a defense to the fiery darts of the enemy. It is a defense to all of the negative and darkness and evil that we see in our culture and all around us. It guards us. And joy is medicinal. 
I love Proverbs 17, verse 22. It says, and you could say this with me if you know the verse, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It is medicinal. There is something healing and strengthening about focusing on the goodness of God which produces joy in the believer. Joy is a choice. So many places in Scripture that tell us this. And you and I have the control over whether or not we rejoice. And we can rejoice always. We can't rejoice in all things, but we can rejoice always in the Lord. We can always rejoice in who He is and and what He has done, no matter what uh, is going on in our lives. Joy is a choice. Psalm Psalm 9, 14, I will rejoice. Psalm 13, 5, my heart shall rejoice. Psalm 20, verse 5, we will rejoice. It's, it's, it's a choice. It's intentional. Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice. Proverbs 15, 15, all the days of the afflicted, the word literally means depressed, all the days of the afflicted are evil. In other words, there's, there's no good that I can see in it. Everything is negative. Every direction, I, my focus is on the negative. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. What's the difference? Depressed or a merry heart? And whose choice is that? It's ours. Joy is contagious. You ever been around someone that's joyful and you just feel better when you're around them? You're brought into focus of what is true and good and right? Proverbs 15, 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. That doesn't only speak for our countenances, but for the countenance of others. Proverbs 12, 25, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Joy is sustainable. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy is sustainable. John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. It can be sustained. We can live joyful lives. How many believe that's what God's intended for His people to live? It's joyful lives. That's about the same three that knew the chorus a minute ago. I think there's more of you that believe that. Joy is sustainable. Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. You and I gain no more strength and have no more greater opportunity to rejoice than when we're spending time in the presence of God, in His Word, and on our face before Him, and, and telling, uh, pouring out our souls before God. It is amazing what that time in His presence does for us as we empty out all of this stuff that's bothering us and that we're caring about and that we're burdened about so that He fills us with peace and He focuses our attention on 
him and upon his sovereignty and upon his goodness and something begins to happen on the inside. As our focus changes, our joy is full. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Well, I'm having a bad day and I just don't feel like rejoicing. Well, what does that tell us? That tells us that we need to get in the presence of God and look at him and look to him and look for him to give us joy. You understand that joy is always available? Again, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's always available. God makes it available to us, to the, uh, to us, the resources uh, to joy over and over again. That's what rejoice is. It's to rejoy. You know what? I can rejoy over the same things day after day. I can rejoy in the fact that I know the Lord. I can rejoice. We're even commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 to rejoice evermore. Joy is always available. You understand that joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God that dwells within us. He is the source of that joy. The kingdom of God is joy. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is joy. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote on joy. He said, there's a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. Uh, one negative spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes, but the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. And we see that repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures dealing with joy and the lives of those who chose to be intentional about living joyfully. How did Jesus finish his course? He who was man without ceasing to be God, who was wrongly arrested and wrongly accused and wrongly tried and wrongly convicted and buffeted and beaten and smitten and scourged and mocked, his beard plucked from his face crown of thorns beaten into his brow. He's made to carry his cross to Golgotha. He lays his body upon that cross and he's nailed to the cross and hoisted between heaven and earth, suffering horribly beyond what any of us can imagine. How did he finish that course? Well, Hebrews tells us, looking unto Jesus as we run our race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what? The joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
How did he finish? How did he endure? How did he complete what the Father had sent him to do? His eyes were focused on the joy of the purpose of all of it. He understood that God, the Father, was using it to draw all men to himself. And that joy of understanding souls would be saved and that joy of understanding he would be exalted back to the place of preeminence that he so deserved. It brought him great joy and it was that joy that strengthened him. It was that joy that kept him going. It was that joy that caused him not to give up. It was that joy that kept his eyes on the purpose that God had allowed all these things to happen. God's people should be joyful people. We get the opportunity to live a very joyful life. I want to live in joy, don't you? I mean, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and I, I have my days. You have your days too. I get cut. I bleed. I whine. I complain. I murmur. But there's something inside the Holy Spirit that reminds me of those things and whether or not they're true, but even if they are, that God is still in control and that he still has joy for me to receive. I want to be a joyful Christian. As a matter of fact, I rebel and resist not being joyful. I see myself sometimes getting frustrated and, and having those those conversations in my mind that thankfully to the Lord I'll never have with someone or someones. You ever been there? Come on now. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. I feel encouraged now. Oh, I know I'm not alone. You have those inward conversations and you're thankful that nobody else hears them because God begins to work in you and work in me and remind us of things and and, uh, and I think, you know what? <laughs> I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Uh, and I begin to go through this list in my mind. I'm not going to live. The, look, God has done too much for you and me to live in the mully grubs and to stay bitter and angry or disappointed or discouraged. Now look, I'm, I know that there's traumatic things that happen in our lives and have happened to people in this room, traumatic things. And the fact that some of those people are in this room is a testament to the strength that they have gained by pouring out their soul and being in the presence of God. What's their strength? God, the joy of the Lord. And joy is not a smiling face all the time necessarily. I think it produces that. I think it can. But it's a recognition that everything's okay. Everything's going to be all right. And I want to be that. I, I resist. I, I, I rebel again. I'm not going to let anybody rob me of my joy. God's given it to me. I can live in it. It's sustainable, and I'm going to do everything I can to do it. I want to be joyful. I want to enjoy life. I want to enjoy the things God has given me. But sometimes I get my focus off. You might, as, you, you might do that as well. May God help us. So I want you to allow me to share three areas in which we should always find joy. 
Just three simple thoughts. Number one, rejoice in the Lord's salvation. You probably knew that was coming, didn't you? There's nothing in this life that can trump being born again into the family of God. There's nothing better than being saved. You can have all the money in the world, and many of us have known people of means that didn't know Jesus, and they were miserable and wretched and blind and wandering. But I can always rejoice in my salvation. Psalm 914, I will rejoice in thy salvation. Psalm 13, 5, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. We will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Luke 10, 20 says, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You and I who have been born again, who know Christ, we have a testimony of being forgiven. Do you understand that, that as a result of that, we have been accepted in the beloved because of Jesus, we have been accepted with God. We have access to his throne. We are heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means everything belongs to Jesus and everything that belongs to him belongs to us. Oh, that means, listen, that, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That means that he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness so everything that God wants us to do, we can do because he's provided for us. And that's why we can say, and that's why Paul could say in this very book, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. God has given us so much. He has given us a church. He has given us the word of God. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We are safe and secure in him. He has made our lives significant to his plan and his purpose. And my purpose is important. And your purpose is important. We're all significant to the kingdom of God. And our lives are important to the work of the Lord. And Satan constantly works, and this world drags it out of us. The joy in knowing him and knowing that we're saved and that we're forgiven, and nothing can ever change that. Rejoice in the Lord's salvation. Secondly, rejoice in the Lord's service. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope, Paul said, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. How did, uh, did the church at Thessalonica even begin? It was a, a short amount of time that the Apostle Paul was there, but he was serving God and he was following the Lord and he was preaching the gospel. And as a result of that, people were being saved. He was serving and God was working and God was moving and he could see it and he wrote back to them, having established a church and rejoicing in them. Third John, uh, third John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Oh, folks, do you understand that, that, that we're not, we don't serve God just to, uh, so that we can receive something. It is a joy to get to serve Him. 
And as you and I think about, as Paul reminds us in Romans, he says, uh, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think of all the mercies that God has given us and all of the things in our salvation as a result of our salvation that we have received. And then he says, as a result of that, I want you to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or, or, or know or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because of my mercies, God says, I want you to present yourself to me and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed so that you can know my will and follow my will and serve me. Oh, listen, friend, rejoice that we get to serve God. It is, it is a privilege to be able to preach the Word of God. It's a privilege to stand up in a Sunday school class and teach children or to teach adults. It is a privilege to get on a church bus and to go to someone's house and knock on their door and, and bring that child on a church bus to hear the gospel and to feel loved by God's people and feel loved by God as a result. It is a privilege to carry those offering plates or those welcome cards or those bulletins or those handouts and everything everything else. It's a privilege to serve in the church as an usher and serving the people. It's a privilege to teach in the school. It's a privilege to be on staff. It's a privilege to go out visiting. It's a privilege to represent Tabernacle Baptist Church and, and Jesus Christ as we go. It's a privilege to work in that nursery and to sing songs to those babies and to love on them and to rock them and to help them and to encourage them and to train them. Why? You are serving God as you are serving through your church. And it's a privilege that we get to do. It's a privilege. If it's sweeping the floor or washing the windows or washing the buses, which by the way, they need it. It's a privilege to drive a bus, to fix a toilet. It's a privilege. Don't allow serving the King of Kings to become drudgery. Don't allow serving God to be all duty and no delight, all dullness with no devotion. Enjoy it because it glorifies God. Enjoy it because it's eternal and you're laying up treasures in heaven. Enjoy it because none of it is in vain. None of it is in vain. Nothing you do for Christ is in vain. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He didn't say that we would know how it's being used or that we would see all the fruit. He just said it's not in vain. Keep serving me. Don't serve because of what you get or what you see or what you expect. Serve me because I am worthy. Serve me because I saved you. Serve me because I've put you in the position and given you every power and everything you need to be able to serve me and represent me in this world and enjoy it. Joy motivates service. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the Lord's service and rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Again, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, we won't read them again. But Paul wasn't blind to his circumstances. In his prison cell, as he sat and, as it were, rotted away, for a time anyway. But he looked at them through the eyes of faith. 
knowing that God had allowed it for a reason. He didn't get bitter, though I'm sure he was tempted, maybe just for a split second, maybe for longer than a second, but he didn't get bitter. Rather, he wrote about his joy. I think the Holy Spirit was encouraging the Apostle Paul through the writing of this book as much as he was trying to use it to encourage the people at Philippi who were going through the same thing. Wherever God leads and whatever God allows in our lives, we can and we should and we're commanded to rejoice because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. There's a song, all of us or most of us, and many of us know it. Of course, after the, the chorus, I don't know if anybody knows this. Rejoice in the Lord. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying His servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness He giveth a song. I could not see through the shadows ahead. I love this. So I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. That'll change a focus in a heartbeat. I bowed to the will of the Master that day, then peace came and tears fled away. Now I can see. Testing comes from above. God strengthens His children and purges in love. My Father knows best, and I trust in His care. Through purging, more fruit I will bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.